Welcome to the Mental Advantage Podcast. Whether you're an athlete trying to perform at your best when it counts the most, a coach or business leader trying to get more out of your team, or someone looking for more personal growth, this is the place for you. This podcast is your map to guide you to the right mindset systems and strategies you need to become the best version of yourself and now here's john cullen and brandon allen so as expected i've been hearing a lot of really interesting feedback from coach meg's appearance on the podcast last week well i guess it was earlier this week everybody really enjoyed that episode, really got a lot out of it. Um, I think they liked the unpacking of dogs and what that meant and just how she's keeping something really in a way simple, alive and well, you know, within that program and and how it's made such a big difference for them as they go into the season. No doubt. And I think, I think too, John, I mean, it, it, you and I know because we 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 know some of the folks that are in uh, this profession, and it's there. It is a heavily populated female profession for sure. But I think I think it's good to hear too, just a, a different voice and a different side of things that that Coach Meg brought, and and like the application stuff that she's doing is is awesome. Yeah, so we we've uh, continue, guys. If you are listening, if you've not heard that episode yet, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. And then also, as we've asked before, as you listen to these, if there is something you like, you know, share those episodes with your friends, uh, with anybody that you feel would would benefit from listening to our podcast because that's going to really help to get the word out uh, and and get everybody. Uh, more dialed into what's going on here, because as we've talked about before, we have, have had a really good run of guests, and I think each one of them brings something unique to the table, and tonight's no different. Um, Adam Carter is going to talk to us from that mental performance side, but also he's got that behavior analyst side of things that that brings a different perspective to it because he really is going to share with the audience how he takes it maybe a step deeper. Oh, no doubt. I mean, he he he's able to not only provide that foundation and that mental performance, but also maybe help that athlete not only understand their why, but why they have that why, which is really interesting and can't wait for the the audience to hear sounds good well as always if you have any feedback on the show um, listen to the email at the end of the show it's it's uh, podcast at mentaladvantage.net and then of course uh, rate and review the podcast on apple itunes spotify all of the different platforms that you can listen to podcasts and stay tuned for adam carter 
Welcome to the show, Adam Carter. So uh, for the listeners, Adam is the host of his own podcast, Inside the Mind Podcast. He has over 100 episodes. He also works at uh, Consistent Elite Performance as a board certified behavior analyst, and he's a mental performance coach, a little bit of everything. And I can't wait to unpack this with you because that behavior analyst piece is really intriguing to me. I want to, I'm definitely going to be asking you some questions about that, but um, has a focus on the interaction between mind and body and has done all kinds of cool things like research, eliminating anxiety-based behaviors in children during fearful situations. And our first guest, to my knowledge, that actually has an article published, uh, he's got a research article in the Journal of Applied Behavior An- Analysis. So, Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. I'm, uh, I'm thrilled, thrilled to be on and, and can't wait for our discussion. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're happy to have you with us. So first of all, why don't we start here? Why don't we just start with your journey um, growing up in Canada? Like, tell us about some of that and maybe what got you so interested in the mental side of things. Yeah. I mean, not to sound too cliche, but hockey was definitely my my sport of choice growing up. And that's probably where, where the whole mental side of it started to come into play just growing up. Um, really kind of being scared of taking that next step in terms of I've always wanted to be a goalie growing up, but never could take that step to face a puck. Or I was always scared of of body checking and taking the body when playing hockey and tried to shy away from it. And then I don't think it was until later on in my life, um, looking back on it, that I realized how much of a barrier the mental side of things was, even even at such a young age for me. So really, um, Going into university, sports psychology was always my end path. Um, so I ended up getting my my undergraduate degree in psychology. Um, and then I kind of, in, in university, I, I had a co-op placement at a um, behavioral therapy clinic in Toronto uh, where they work with a lot of kids with autism and kind of really fell in love with that gig. So I ended up pursuing that, pursuing that for my master's. That's where I got my master's in applied behavior analysis. Um, but then... Researching a lot of that, I, I found out that a lot of the things that I learned in school really blended in with sports psychology, things like cognitive behavioral therapy, things like acceptance and commitment therapy are all based around behaviors and changing someone's behavior. So it kind of seemed at that point um, a natural fit to blend my education and to blend my passion for sports into pursuing my a career as a, a performance coach and also uh, my, my hobby as, as a podcast host. Yeah, absolutely. So that was kind of leading into my question. What are the what are the things that you've really found that being a behavior analyst that have helped you the most with being a mental performance coach? For sure. So as a behavior analyst or the science of applied behavior analysis, they really they really focus on the functions of behavior and why people do what they do. And they generally kind of have four buckets for the functions of behavior. So somebody will will have a behavior um, because they're trying to escape something. So it's kind of like an athlete. They may play timid on the ice because the 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 rejection they get from somebody or the bad play that they could make is is so punishing for them that they're trying to escape that feeling. So that's kind of like one function. Or people wow. might do things for the attention of somebody else. So if you think of an athlete that goes out to the club. Um, does a lot of bad press and everything like that, they might crave that attention. So that could be a second function of behavior. Third function of behavior that that they talk about is doing something for tangible reward. So you can think that, you know, how many athletes unfortunately do something that might be detrimental to their health or detrimental to their 
uh, public presence for money, for fame, whatever it may be. Um, and the fourth function is is for they call it automatic reinforcement, but they like the sensations of of that certain behavior. Um, and just a non-sporing example would be like taking a Tylenol to to relieve pain. Um, so I guess painkillers could also be kind of a a sport a sport blend into it. So so really those four functions of behavior: attention, tangible rewards, escape from something they don't want, um, and that sensation or that internal feeling. Um, and it's really given me, I think, a unique lens to look at athletes' behaviors, one of those four buckets. And then it's given me, I think, a, a leg up on identifying the replacement behaviors for those behaviors they want to change. Um, so if I know an athlete is doing something on the ice, on the pitch, on the field to escape something, I can then work with them to identify the behaviors um, that they need to do um, that still that will, that will replace that function. Or if I know an athlete is doing something for for a tangible reward or for someone's attention, we then work around that replacing behavior for that. So a bit a bit of a uh, off off the cusp or, or you know, but outside the box, I guess the word I was thinking of view of it. But I think it, it's quite a unique view, and and I've noticed a lot of athletes really kind of take towards that view as well. That that is really interesting and provides insight that. I don't know that a lot of other mental performance coaches where you can actually identify the reason. Um, I, I know just in my own experience going through various therapies and, and talking with mental professionals, you know, there, there, a lot of times there's denial and things like that, that, that play a role. Do you find because of, of having that, that, background where you can get really, really granular with an athlete, do you, do you find it more difficult at times because you can kind of see through that facade that they have? I, I think so, because I think a lot of athletes, they don't, they don't realize maybe what they're doing. And, and sometimes I think it's my job for them to, they may have a certain perception of, of what, what their behaviors are leading to in their personal professional career. And oftentimes when we go through an assessment or I just ask them the, the type of pro open, open-ended questions where I can get the answers that I need, we can kind of walk towards a path where perhaps they, they thought that they were doing something because they got that good tangible reward or, or because they thought they were getting that good attention from somebody. But it may be the case that they're actually as being masked um, by, by them actually wanting to escape something. So, so really getting the nitty gritty details of that. Um, unfortunately denial is is sometimes a part of it but i think that's that's part of my job to help the athletes um, face their true inner functions of their behaviors so i think this is so interesting adam because as you all are talking there i was thinking about the why people do what they do and you think about some of those common pain points among the athletes we work with whether that be fear of failure whether it's confidence whether it's uh you know not being able to handle pressure and and, and getting anxious a lot of times we're to brandon's point addressing that at a surface level but what i really like about what you're doing is it just you're finding out first at a deeper granular level, as far as what is it that's causing the fear of failure? What is it that's causing that, you know, inability to handle pressure? Because as mental performance coaches, we can give them the systems and strategies that it takes to get beyond that. 
But I think you're almost kind of taking it to that next step, which is, hey, let's deal. I mean, do you go to that level and deal with that first and maybe try to to unpack some of that before you even go and provide some of those systems and strategies? For sure. For sure. I always I always try and, and figure out what the function of the behavior is first before I give that replacement behavior or that strategy, that mental strategy um, that I think will be most helpful. And, and also, it kind of helps me as well because a big part of, of applied behavior analysis and just my own personal practice is the use of data and graphs to track progress. So then I'll track with the athlete. We have our, our behavior we identified that we, we want to get rid of, and we have our replacement behavior that we identified that we want to increase. So let's actually, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, biweekly, track each of them. And then we can see over time that this behavior that was such an issue is actually decreasing over time. And the behavior that we want to replace is actually increasing over time. Uh, and of course, those those behaviors would change based on the athlete, based on the function of the behavior. But but more generally, it really allows us to to plot everything on a graph and have that kind of that that tangible um, that tangible progress that we can see. I, I find that to be extremely interesting as well, from the standpoint that you know we we know that data doesn't really lie right? It takes the emotion out of it. I think too, what's, what's, um, as, as I'm listening to you, Adam, describe this, you know, one of the things that we have to do as athletes and as human beings in general is, is be honest with ourselves, right? I mean, look, if, if, if I'm playing football and, and that guy in front of me keeps whipping me, like I have to be honest and go, man, you, you're getting beat. Like, you, you've got to make an adjustment. Um, I, I, what I find to be really interesting about how deep you can go, not only are you telling them to be honest with themselves, but you're showing them why, which as an athlete, we all like to be truly coached. Like you should. And um, you're, you're not just giving them the, the playbook. You're, you're really kind of digging deep in there. That, that is, um, a really interesting background that you have, Adam. That's, that's really cool stuff. So Adam, uh, ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to ask you. So to that end, what is the awareness level? Like, you know, with a lot of these athletes, because that's one of the things that as a mental performance coach, I find I'm always trying to improve is the person's awareness of it. So when, and if you're going to go to that next step, um, I would imagine that that's one of the things that you are probably identifying what I call blind spots more than anything. They're just not aware that they have this issue. Like you're, they just know that, uh, you know what, I freeze when the game gets really big or I lack confidence, but they, it's probably that first step I would imagine for you is really just even making them aware of something that they're probably not even aware of. Exactly. You couldn't put it any better. And especially because I feel like the field of applied behavior analysis, I mean, it's rooted in psychology, but I don't think it's a very well-known science. It's a very small field. It's a very niche field because if you go on jobs, people that have their, that are board certified behavior analysts, I mean, 95% of jobs are, are for people that work with kids with autism and, and that behavioral therapy component. So it's not well known to the general public, but as difficult as it is sometimes, I'm still improving on it, but trying to communicate the science in words that, that everybody can understand, especially athletes that are, you know, 
10, 11 or 12 years old, it's, it's a very high order thinking that, that it's, it, it's sometimes a struggle for them to understand what I'm saying, but really trying to, I don't want to say dumb it down, but make it in a language that, that they're able to understand. It takes a couple sessions sometimes, and sometimes I'll even go above and beyond what our allocated session time is. But I think it's such a valuable component to athletes to know not only what they're doing, but why they're doing it. Um, because it then, again, just makes that whole replacement behavior piece that much easier to identify, that much more buy-in from the kid and, and his family or her family. Um, but it, it's definitely a cool experience to see that aha moment go off in a child's, uh, in a child's face. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I was talking to Brandon a couple of weeks ago about this, but there's an old business book called The Oz Principle, and it's a book about accountability. And in this book, they outline four steps. See it own it, solve it, and do it. So oftentimes, I think probably as coaches, I know as mental performance coaches, we do this, but we have a tendency to go from the see it to the solve it. And then we want to go right to the do it. And I imagine that there's a level of frustration for some of these players if they if we skip that own it step. And, and like you're saying there is if, if that awareness isn't there and we go right into that solve it thing, I'm wondering if it's not a situation quite honestly. And I just was thinking about this as you were talking that we're just putting a bandaid on something. We're not actually fixing the, the issue because we're just giving them techniques that are going to get them able to maybe do this, but for the short term, because until we address some of those underlying issues, we might not be able to, to, to really, until they own it, so to speak, we might not be able to fix that in the long term. I think that's so important too, because the, the, thing, the things that you and I or Brandon would help an athlete with don't only pertain to, to their sport, it pertains to their life in general. An athlete that, that lacks confidence on the ice or on the pitch or on the football field may lack confidence in, in some other area of their life, and, and there might be a, a real strong relationship between those two settings. So if you really get to the underlying why for lack of confidence in a sport, you may inevitably be helping the athlete just in their life in general and just confidence in school, confidence in their relationships, confidence in their friendships. How receptive are the athletes that you're working with, hockey players, um, you know, the different sports that you're running into mostly in Canada? Are How receptive are they to that mental side of things? Because I know we're just now in the United States starting to see more and more as this is becoming more of a, oh, you know what? I This sport is 90% mental. I do need to focus more attention on that. And you're starting to see more mental performance coaches with uh, different schools and athletic programs and organizations. And then even to the business side of things, just from a performance standpoint. Um, but is it gaining traction in Canada? Like, where are you as far as that goes? Def- I think, I think definitely. I, I think, um, probably about a year ago, there were a couple of stories that came out of the NHL about improper coaching techniques, and, and it just kind of lent itself to the discussion of of just the mental side of the game. Um, and I think also Bell Let's Talk has a, a beautiful campaign that they do every February. So Bell, for people that aren't, aren't familiar, is like um, a cell phone company um, in Canada. And they do the Bell Let's Talk campaign where for every tweet or every every hashtag, they donate five cents to mental health research. And a lot of like guys in the Raptors, the Blue Jays, all the NHL teams, all the Canadian international athletes, they all get behind that. 
So I felt really in in the last five years or so, that's been an explosion um, of of people just being aware of the mental side of of the game, being aware of mental health. Um, and I really think that Bell Let's Talk campaign has really been that, that springboard for it. So when I when an athlete comes to me and as part of consistent elite performance, um, generally they already have a hundred percent buy in, and like they're so motivated to work on the mental game, they have that recognition already um, that the mental game is is really ninety percent of it. Yeah. Have you read the book The Ed the Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell? I have not. No. So there's an interesting thing that I want you to, and I want you to, we we're so far off the list of questions I had for you, by the way, but it's, but I mean, that's a really good thing because that, thing, yeah. yeah, yeah, because that means that, that we're really diving into something here, but in the book, the outliers, they talk about in Canada, most of, if you look at most NHL players, now I don't know if this is still the same way, but this has been probably 10 years ago since this book came out. But if you look at it, most birthdays are from January through March of people who play in the NHL simply because there is a great gap between if you, I should say a great benefit you get by being an older, you know, early birthday. So if you turn a certain age, uh, your body's more developed at a young age. So you're going to get more access to the premier coaching, the, uh, the junior leagues, like all of the things that you're able to do it to, to the benefits, like in our, uh, you know, like what we're seeing now is like travel leagues and things like that pop up. Um, but you, you get that elite level coaching, but it was a really interesting thing that I I'm thinking about now, as you're talking about this, about those hockey players is I wonder how much of it comes down to the fact that if I'm not getting some of that next level coaching at an early age in Canada, how much that might create a fixed mindset for me as a hockey player, for example, because I think, you know what, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not as good as some of those other players. And and that at a young age, they can't make that connection. Like, you know what, that's because those players got the benefit of a lot of additional training because they were just older and bigger and stronger than a still somebody who was born in the same year as me, but they were just born earlier in the year. Does that make sense when I'm... It does. No, 100%. Yeah. I know a lot of people uh, either personally or, or just professionally that, that they aim to have their kids between January and March or January mm-hmm. and it's amazing to, again, to get kind of ahead of the curve, like you said. Um, yeah, it's just... Hockey is a tough sport to to make it in Canada, I think, especially and um, just the, primarily the the kids that I deal with are hockey players, and just the amount of kids that play double A AA or triple A, and you know, right. they just break down in front of me, either them or a member of their family, just because of all the pressure they're feeling, and especially when they're getting to that fifteen or sixteen year mark where it really is make it or break it. You either make it to one of the junior leagues in Canada or you're playing junior B or junior C and then it's really, really tough to, to kind of have any career from it. Well, and we see it here in the States a lot with reclassing. I mean, at least I know, so I'm in Georgia and um, you, you see kids reclassing all the time. Um, my, my son is in seventh grade and we played last year um, or I guess it was, it was last season. Um, with, with an eighth grade group of, of kids. And we even saw it on teams that we played, they took advantage of COVID and that the, that kids were being homeschooled 
And so you could tell that there were 16-year-old kids out there playing eighth grade football, maybe 15. But these were these were big, big kids that were going to take advantage of being able to reclass. And to your point, John, um, even, even a lot of teachers and professionals are saying, hey, I'd much rather deal with a 19 or 20-year-old freshman in college than a 17 or 18-year-old, just from the mental, the decision-making capabilities, right? Just the, the mental and emotional maturity. Um, it's, it's, um, it's crazy how, how that can be an absolute game changer for kids. And, and you're, I'm hoping that stuff that like you're doing, Adam, as it works its way down to the, to the younger kids, right. And the stuff that we're trying to teach, um, that maybe you, you can still be a younger athlete and have some, um, mental performance, you know, uh, foundation. Um, but that's, it's, it's, it's really interesting. The, the advantages people try to take, um, as you progress. And I think it, to, to a point it's, I think it's at some point it's sad because I don't think the kids, their, their, their prefrontal cortex and their brain isn't as developed as, you know, as it can be. So are they really that cognizant or aware of like what's actually going on here? I think a lot of the onus then comes on the parent because I mean, we could argue whether it's in within the rules or not, but morally is it right to have, have your kid do that and and be at such an advantage and taking, taking uh, advantage of the rules um, where they just dominate dominates. And, And I think that parent, I mean, I understand putting your kid in the best position to succeed, but there's also the flip side of the equation where how many kids lose their opportunity because of, of parents taking advantage of these reclassification rules or just different rules that have come up because of COVID. Sure. Yeah. And I think that um, that's where it really is dependent on the parents and ourselves as coaches to focus on the opportunity to teach about response because at the end of the day, we can't control whether or not those kids get reclassed or whether or not they are taking advantage of some of the rules. Um, so I think it's one of those things that somewhere in there, in that challenge, in that 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 adversity, uh, if you will, there's an opportunity to teach the the ability to respond and, and that, you know what, you can still go out there and do the best you can. You can still control what you can control and hope that it happens. But I think to your point, you know, it's still worth an explanation because I think if you don't explain that to them, I could easily see where there's a um, level of frustration that could develop into something later on down the road, like a lack of confidence. So hockey is one of those sports, Adam, that I, I kind of look at basketball, hockey, soccer, some of these sports that are, uh, they're constantly flowing, right? So what are some of the challenges with some of those hockey players as it relates, because there's not a lot of breaks in the action. So it's not like you can say, you know, in baseball, which is what I predominantly deal with baseball and softball, you know, where you can talk about taking that moment to re, you know, be aware of your, your control, commit to the plan, compete, you know, the three C's that can revisit taught us in heads up baseball. But what are some of the things you find you're most of the time working with hockey players on, for example, breathing, I would imagine would be one of those things that, but those things are getting them back present. For sure. For sure. We, we call it a consistently performance, uh, just like the reset routine. 
And we, I think that's, that's where we always start off with our hockey athletes, because like you said, it's such a, a fast paced game. The shifts are only about a minute or so each minute, minute, 15, 45 seconds, maybe somewhere in that range. And then you're on the bench for two to three minutes. And then you're back out there again. It's very back and forth and back and forth. So we teach them that reset routine and how do they, when they're sitting on the bench, when for that two or three minutes for the next shift, how do they take that breath to calm themselves? How do they reflect on what just happened and how do they have that mindset um, or at least that self-talk so that when they go up for their next shift, they still have the same amount of confidence like they had, like nothing bad had happened. Um, and it's about teaching them to do that within 15 to 30 seconds because hockey, like you said, is such a fast-paced game that if you if you stall it or, or you take too long with your mental strategies when you're on the bench, before you know it, you're back on the ice and you're even more behind the eight ball than you were. Yeah. I would imagine the other thing, um, and not to get too deep in just to that one lane because I know you deal with a lot more athletes than just hockey, but um, – but the other thing I was thinking about that I see as an observer watching the NHL is goalies. Like you see these goalies that if they give up a goal, it, it always ends up becoming like one of those nights where it's like three or four, you know what I mean? Like it just, yeah. you, it can really quickly snowball for a goalie because I think it becomes that not staying in the present moment. It's looking back on what happened. You know, that was a big play. I just gave up, especially in playoff hockey, I think. Yeah, exactly. And that, and I mean, I think to some degree, it's still, it's still the reset routine, but it's a bit different because when a goalie lets in, lets in a goal, for example, there's that two or three minutes where they have to watch the team celebrate and they have to hear the other fans cheer. So it's really hard to, to get your mind back on track when all that's going on around you compared to a player where they might have a bad shift, make a bad play, but the team doesn't necessarily score because of that mistake. So when they're on the bench, there's less going on around them. Goalies is such a, such an interesting position, especially in hockey. And mm-hmm. I see it so many times they, they show the goalies on national TV and they have their like pregame routines and their visualization routines. And, and it's like one of the more, I think under, under, under realized mental positions in sport. I totally agree with that. Absolutely. But you can also see it on the flip side too, right? So a guy's standing on his head yeah. And and he he's like, hey, you can just keep peppering me. I, I I'm a wall back here, right? I mean, momentum plays such a on on both sides of it plays such a huge role in the in the mental performance game. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So, what was it um, that got you into thinking? You know what? I'm going to start a podcast. What was the what was that thought process? Uh it was it was. It was probably Gary Vaynerchuk, who I don't know if you guys. Yeah, absolutely, Gary V. Uh, he is the one that that inspired me to start a podcast. Just about following your passion and just taking advantage of social media and just putting yourself out there, and you never know what can happen. I mean, I think the only reason why I have my gig at Consistently Performance was because of of my podcast. Because before that, all I did was work at a children's hospital as a, as a behavior therapist for kids with autism. Like there was no prior experience working with athletes. It wasn't really until I started my podcast, I started putting out content about sports psychology and about the mental side of things is where, where I feel like I really started to learn and then the opportunity came up. So I guess, yeah, just listening to Gary V. Uh, taking advantage of the tools around me and, and just getting over that, that fear, that fear of failure of, 
of a podcast going horribly, which I have had some that have, but it's about the ones that are good. That's why I keep going. Yeah. It's really an interesting thing. Um, I've never heard that somebody actually used the podcast to get into the the mental performance side, or at least some of the the things you're doing there, uh, you know, with consistent elite performance. So that's a really interesting thing. Yeah. So I, I do I mean, have a question. So Adam, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, because I, my thought process behind that was because I had no prior experience in sports psychology. All I had was almost like indirect experience and indirect knowledge, but no, but no like actual work experience. So I kind of thought to myself, like, how do I, at, at such a, I don't want to say old age, but I was probably 26 at the time. How do I break into the field without actually having a master's in sports psychology? Because mm-hmm. like I mentioned, I know how to do cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm aware of acceptance and commitment therapy. I think there's a lot of overlap. I just don't have like the quote unquote, like credential. Um, that's where the podcast kind of came into play. It gave you, it gave you some clout, right? So, so I I have, I do. So as a mental, um, professional, um, can you sense pretty early? I mean, cause we're, this is what John, our 10th podcast. So Adam's uh, double digits. Yeah. Big, 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 (laughs) big up to you, Adam. But can you, can you tell, cause you've got some great guests. I mean, you've got, you've got players from every professional league out there, but can you feel it kind of getting off the rails? And and do you try to, you know, from a mental perspective, do you go, oh boy, this is this is not going well? And and you know, how do I reel it back in? Or do you just kind of let it let it take you? I'm I'm definitely my hardest critic when it comes to putting a podcast episode out. Um, and it's interesting because I felt like the podcast episodes that have gone the worst for me are the ones where I get the best feedback about. So I just think my, I'm just, I just get so hard on myself and it's, I think it's just a continuing process. I mean, it's kind of ironic that I struggle so much with the mental side of podcasting and I help athletes out with their mental side of of their game. Um, but I, especially earlier on, I had strived for every episode to be perfect. And it wasn't until I just took that, that attitude of whether I think this podcast episode is perfect or whether I think it's a failure, it's still me and it's authentically who I am and what me and the athlete talked about. So let me just put it out there and just see what happens. Cause the worst that can happen is nobody listens to it. And I just do another one. Cause I usually have a couple lined up. So I was like, whatever, I'll just do like upload another one next week and see how that one goes. Um, so over time it's been, it's been, I've been less harsh on myself, but definitely that mental piece is putting yourself out there is, is no easy task. I think for anyone. Agreed. And, and, and I think too, the, the great part about podcasting and the similarity, the parallel to playing a sport is, Hey, if you make a mistake, then, you know, next one up, like I, I get to do it again. Um, and, and you learn and, and we, John and I have talked about it before, you know, the whole thing of, of perfection being the enemy of progress. Um, you know, they're, they're not all going to be perfect, but they're, there's probably not one that you've had that you don't at least have an opportunity to learn something from. So exactly. Um, I did, know. I did episode not too long ago, uh, with Joseph Odom, who's now catcher is part of the Rays organization, but he played for the Mariners last year. And I put out a piece of content from that that talked about how perfection is paralyzing. 
and even to the further point, mm-hmm. like my my perception of perfection is different from your perception of perfection, which is different than John's perception of perfection. So then it begs the question, what actually is perfection? There's, I think perfection is just loving what you do and having fun with it. So that that's kind of been my my slow mental progression through these, I think, 103, 104 episodes now. So yeah. Wow, so do awesome. you find yourself, Adam, when you're having these conversations, because you interview, you're, you consistently do something that we are just now going to start getting into, which is interviewing more athletes and getting more coaches and those types of uh, on the show. Do you find yourself as you're having those conversations, do you look for people who already have a grip on it? Or do you look for people who you just want to talk about what their routines are, what their process is, and then maybe along the way, you might even be sharing something with them about something that might help them. Yeah, I I want to say earlier on, it was more so just about getting to know somebody and not too much focusing on like their social media presence and if they actually put out content in terms of the mental game. But I want to say probably the last six months or so, I've really kind of honed in on who I try and recruit to come on the show of people that have already put out that those pieces of content or have shown that passion or that recognition of the mental side of, of the game. I think that it just lends itself to a more, to just a a more valuable conversation for, for a lot of my audience and a lot of their audience as well. So I love asking this question. Um, I I say that like, you know, this is episode 104, like you have. (laughs) So in in the 10 episodes we've done, I, I, I probably asked this question three or four times. So, um, as you work with athletes, your clients, or, or just guests on your show, what have you noticed or some, cons- uh, like, when's the last time somebody said something that made you think differently about mental performance in general? That's a good question. I want to say it wasn't necessarily like it was new. But just the way that he worded it was really interesting and allowed me to apply it to even just my podcasting, which is kind of weird. But I had, um, I think it was episode 76. I had Curtis Gabriel. He's, he plays in the NHL. Uh, right now he's on the San Jose Sharks. Uh, had a couple of good fights last week too that uh, I recommend anyone <laughs> check it out. But he was really, he was really into the mental side of things and really about just following your passion, following just what you want to do and that you just have one life on this earth and just live it to your fullest potential and all that stuff. And it really clicked with me because I went into the interview wanting to talk to him about the mental side of hockey, but it's quickly transitioned to the, just the mental side of life. And we talked about all the different passions that he has that he goes through and all the different passions that I have and I go through. And it really helped me, I think, in my professional career as a mental coach, talk to athletes about the importance of taking time away from their sport as counterproductive as that may seem to them because they want to get as best as they can at their sport. And and they think that the more time they put in, the better they get, which is true to an extent, just like your physical body, your, your mental mind needs a rest as well. So let's actually identify these passions and these hobbies that we can integrate into your daily life and your daily routine so that it gives your brain a chance to recharge so that when you want to work on visualization or when you want to work on um, the, your reset routine, that we can do so with 100% capacity for your mental side. Yeah, it's uh, what gets scheduled gets done. Yeah. You so, know? so I've got, I've got a, a, maybe an off 
Um, a little off topic question. Um, the enforcer in the NHL is starting to kind of go away, right? I mean, they still have it, but not to the, you talk about having a couple of fights, but not to the extent that it used to. It, do you, do you see a, um, do you see a different mindset with enforcers in any in, in the NHL, or do you do you deal with any of them? Um, you know, those are those are big guys that are of everybody. They are team first. Like I'm going to take care of everybody, and and I'm going to sacrifice myself more than than maybe almost anybody on the team, right? Right. 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 I haven't worked with any specifically, but speaking to Curtis. Um, it was really eye-opening because he talked about how he, he kind of takes a dual approach where he's continually evolving his game, but he's also not going to get away from what got him to where he is. Mm-hmm. So he's he's about the same age as me, I think. He's probably about 27 or 28. And when he was 17 to 21, 22, just breaking into the league, he was that fighter, that enforcer, that you know, that rock'em, sock'em, robot kind of guy. Right. Um, and now that the league's evolved in the past five or six years, he talked about changing his game and working on on things that would allow him to stay afloat in the league, but also not straying away from who he is as a person and who who and just just the style of play that he likes to play. Um, and I think it's just just it kind of had me thinking there, just how how challenging I think that is for a lot of NHLers because even though it might not seem it like it might not seem like this to them, but if they still play their game, that's where they're going to get the most success. Even though the enforcer is kind of out of the league, as they say, I think there's still an enforcer light role that could be played. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so what's next for you, Adam? What, are, where are you wanting to evolve the podcast? What are, what, what's kind of the next thing that you, you know, Gary V inspired you to take this step that, that ultimately led to another step. What, what's the next thing that you'd like to accomplish? Uh, when I first started my podcast, I really wanted it to be a source of income. But as I got more and more into it, I, I realized that that I just loved doing the podcast. And no matter if my podcast had 10 views or 500 views, I still enjoy making the podcast just as much. So I've kind of changed my my perception of the podcast as, as just a hobby. And whatever comes from it comes from, comes from it. Um, just consistently doing one episode a week. And I feel like that's kind of fits my schedule well. And but but more specifically for, for the months ahead, I I'm trying to really focus on just putting out more content in terms of the mental side of sports and the mental side of life and just trying to reach more people that way. But still with just with just the mindset of this is just what I like to do, not in it for like this is gonna be my job, not in it for I want to make a career out of this per se, but just I love talking about the mental side of sports. I love creating content. I love helping athletes. If I make some money on the side, that's great. But just just continuing to just follow my passion, and I feel like that's just where where I, I'm I'm the most productive and the most happy. I love, and this is probably going to be the title of this particular show, but I love that idea of the mental side of life because I think oftentimes we struggle with this thought that you know, during this podcast, it always kind of goes back to athletics. It always kind of goes back to the, you know, athletes we work with and mental, mental performance. Uh, but the reality of it is 
we hoped when we started it that the systems and strategies that we talk about consistently, people started to make that connection that this can help me in life in general. It's going to help me be a better father or mother, husband or wife. It's going to help me be a better business person, employee, whatever the case would be. The idea that if I have the right mindset and I you know, put a good strategy and a good plan together. And I attack that with a certain level of discipline every single day, I'm ultimately going to become a better version of myself. So I think uh, oftentimes, I, even though we maybe get in, well, I know I get in my own head about this, where I start thinking, oh, you know, maybe we're focused too much on the athletic side of things. Um, I, I think hopefully we're giving people enough ammunition to go out there and attack life that way. Exactly. Because we, we can't play sports 24 hours of the day and we can't play sports, you know, for our whole entire life. There does come a point in time, whether it's in your day, your week, your month, or just your entire life where sports takes a back seat. And now it's, I think the job of the individual to take the principles they've applied in hockey, in football in baseball, whatever it is, and apply it to other aspects of life which is why I always encourage parents to just enroll their kids in as many sports as they can um, or in as many sports as their kids want to play at such a young age. Cause I think there are certain, there are certain lessons that kids learn that they can only learn in sports or maybe that are best learned in sports, teamwork, leadership, dealing with failure, those things. Um, just, just the value of, of sports and the value of, 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 of it all. For sure. Well, Adam, listen, we certainly appreciate you taking some time. Uh, we've been, you know, followers of your content, um, listen to your show. As Brandon pointed out, some of the guests you've had on there makes for some very interesting conversations. And I know it's very a good. busy, busy time for you. And so we really appreciate you taking the time. I know that on Instagram, people can follow you at Adam O.R. Carter. It's A-D-A-M-O-R-C-A-R-T-E-R. Any other places people might be able to check in and see your content? Um, I put all my episodes up on YouTube, um, which is just under Adam Carter. But if they if they search inside the Mind Podcast, they'll they'll also find it there. Um, and yeah, that's that's kind of my my two main places right now. I'm trying to put out just a lot of value valuable content on Instagram um, from the content that I put out on YouTube. So they kind of blend in each other. Fantastic. Well, we'll definitely be following you and thank you for joining us tonight on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. Thank you guys. Had a lot of fun. Want to provide feedback or stay up to date with the show? Visit our Instagram page at Mental Advantage Podcast, or you can send us an email at podcast at mentaladvantage.net. To have John Cullen work with you or your team, please write to him at john.cullen at mentaladvantage.net. Thanks for listening to today's episode.